So it was just to have that and this color and this depth and this, this density as you lose the moisture and you lose that rigor mortis and you allow those natural enzymes start to work their magic within the meat. As long as you have the right atmosphere and climate, I mean, he hangs the deer. We ate, I ate it raw. It was hanging in there for 65 days. <laughs> <laughs> I took little pieces off and I was like, this looks, I'm sorry. There is no danger in eating this raw. We put a little show you on it, you know, a little soy sauce and let it, you know, hang out for 20 seconds and then real thin <laughs> kind of curve just to kill maybe any, uh, just for peace of mind and, uh, and for flavor. But, uh, it was four people ate it. No one got sick. I probably had four ounces of it and it was some of the best, tartar I've ever had in my life. These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. Sig is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, Sig Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, Sig Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military, the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SigSauer.com. Brad, welcome to the show. We've been talking back and forth about guns and cooking and hunting stuff for quite a while. And we've been trying to make this podcast happen for like six months. I'm stoked that we finally both had the time to, to do it. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks again, man. And thanks for having me. Uh, and most of those delays and annoying hangups, I, I will take full responsibility for it's usually <laughs> It's usually the case, you know, with, with working from home right now, um, and getting ready to move myself uh, from the New York City area a little bit. Um, it's just been a little chaotic and, and having to, you know, sh- my line of work, I shoot a bit of video at home sometimes and it's just been, getting things to line up has, has been a little crazy. I don't know if you have kids yourself. I have two young boys and uh, ages uh, in May, they'll be five and three and they're just, man, they're, I mean, it's a beautiful thing, but my God, talk about two bulls in a China shop. Now, have they gone hunting with you yet? Uh, my oldest, I mean, we can call it hunting. We've certainly taken some, some walks in the woods, um, more, not so much, maybe squirrel hunting. Yeah. I guess we could call it squirrel hunting. Uh, we didn't shoot anything, but you know, it was the idea of it and like, kind of like breaking in like a, a new, for lack of better description, I just want them to be familiar around guns and like the, the sound of a gun and just have it. Like I kind of compare it to like, you know, introducing a a puppy bird dog to it you know what i mean like i don't want my kid or any of my kids or anyone for that matter to hear that sound of a you know even if it's a 22 long rifle which is what i'm talking about to have it not be scary or startling because my experience in my childhood it was not it was 
quite the quite the opposite. You know, it was actually a introduction of excitement and ended up leading to food and just passions for life. So I just really having kids, I just want to kind of try to be able to instill that into them. That's awesome. How old were you when you started hunting? Yeah, so probably, I guess I don't know. I mean, as soon as I had interest or my mom let my dad carry, uh, let me hold a gun or something. Um, <laughs> so it's like funny you say, so like I, me- I remember my first gun and I think it is probably one of the best starter guns in the world. And I give all the credit to my dad. Uh, but I would say, I would have to answer your question quickly. Nine, 10. I don't know what time was the first time I like tried to shoot, you know, a, a soda can or a clay bird or something. But my first gun, I remember my dad giving it to me. You know, like he held it, he owned it, but like it was, you know, this Brad, this is your gun. It was a break action, you know, single shot, uh, a 20 gauge shotgun. And like, there's no mistake. It's if that gun's broken. Uh, it, it, it might as well be a, a hammer. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's a very, I think that's what that gun was designed for, for the most part. Right. So uh, having that, and then just the introduction to like a 22, where it was like, I think it was like a Remington, you know, it had like the, the under barrel, you could put like, 10, 13 rounds or whatever state you're in. And uh, it was just a little plinker, you know, and just shooting things like that. Um, but getting into hunting, it was at an early age. I mean, my dad, I, I come from a really unique situation in, in New Jersey where my dad was like a legend, man. He was, you know, we, we went frogging, we caught snapping turtles, we went bow hunting, we did, you know, I went shooting grouse, taking woods in the, every Thanksgiving, we went pheasant and chucker hunting with my uncle and, you know, and some of his friends and stuff. So like, living in an area that isn't normally known for its hunting to people who aren't already aware of it, New Jersey was just a really cool spot for me. And I was very fortunate to get into it at an early age. And, you know, what's so important about that is that it really, and like, you don't, you don't really recognize it or realize it until you're a little older, but man, it was such a vital component in the building of the foundation of the man I am today. It's an interesting relationship today between hunting and cooking and i think it's always been an interesting relationship but it hasn't always been the same person that did both you know for for most human history those are two different people and now we're kind of coming into a time where there's an expectation that if you hunt you also have to have to cook and do so creatively and there's this strange like offshoot of of culinary arts within um i don't even know if art is is the right word but within hunting where it's sort of this fear factor thing it's like we're, we're eating eyeballs and buttholes and like the inside of a beaver's toenails tripe and tongue and it's just yeah it, need to be that way sure and, and you know that's that's interesting it's intriguing we all want to use as much of the animal as we can but for a lot of non-hunters that's the way that they are viewing this it's like oh and every time I, I take somebody that that's new out and start working on an animal, they're like, you know, do you know that there's fat behind the eyeball? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. But you know, there's, I'm not starving to death either. <laughs> <laughs> there's some other stuff that, that we can do here. Um, I mean, I know fermentation is a lot of what you do. Do you consider that, you know, your, your expertise or like the core of your, your culinary no. stuff? No. Yes. I mean, about, by, by to answer your question quickly, no, I mean, I didn't pick up fermentation until relatively recently in my life. And my, my parents, I don't come from a, a family of fermenters, you know, you know, that no one, no one did any kind of rotting unless they just forgot something in the fridge or in the, in the, in the garage or something, you know, some accidental fermentation, but and that was all new to me. And, um, 
and my passion for it, it was just kind of like a good timing um, to where I was introduced to it a little bit. And it was just, I like projects. And then, then I also like, you know, I like science and I like, um, I like health and I like understanding the importance of gut health and microorganisms in your, in your gut biome and how actually how important that is to you name it from diabetes to cancer to just general nutrition. Right. And just overall well-being. So like they kind of played two and two. And then once you open that little bit of a, that actually that massive, you know, rabbit hole that you can go down, it's a beautiful thing. And it's tied into a lot of foods, people that don't even, you know, necessarily, you know, uh, think of fermentation, you know, you go get it from your favorite Thai restaurant, get some pad Thai. And what's that real distinct flavor, that little fish sauce in there or something. That's just rotted fish with salt in a big barrel somewhere (laughs) real hot for six months. Like, it's it's so old it's it's basically you know it's the original refrigeration you know being able to to preserve food so it ties in so beautifully with my new my re love for uh you know farming and growing things and cooking and hunting to where it's like yeah those those some of these things whether it's canning or fermenting can really tie those old ways of of preserving food that was i mean god there couldn't be something more relevant to hunting, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we grew up hanging meat for a long time and there's, if we had the right weather conditions and the time of year, we would have a deer or an elk hanging in the shop um, until we were done eating it. You know, we weren't butchering that animal. We're going out and cutting off whatever we wanted to cook for the night. That's right. And there'd be big layers of mold on the outside and just take some vinegar on a rag and wipe it off. And, you know, I really didn't think anything of it. And, and then I kind of got shamed about that a little bit later in life. And like, oh, that's not how you treat meat. That's bad. And I was like, oh, man, I can't believe I survived. And then I guess I'll... we've been doing it wrong for 7,000 <laughs> years or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and then um, I ended up meeting our, our mutual friend, Eli Cairo. And, you know, he all he does is ferment meat. Like, that's his right. jam. And uh, getting to to walk around his place in Portland and um, and seeing all this moldy furry meat that was so delicious it was incredible and and the palate is incredible it's it's an amazing thing and i'm really glad to see it come back and you know i've had this conversation with other guests who you know take it to like rotting meat in africa um where it rots really really quickly and how healthy these people are that consume it sure Um, it's an amazing thing well you know it's amazing when you find out how beneficial it is to work with nature instead of against it. You know, like it's unnatural to have an electric refrigerator, you know, but in the right climates, hanging a piece of meat, like makes total sense. And like controlled rot, you know, that's what fermentation is. And that's basically what, uh, maybe not so much with dry aging is because you're not really rotting, but like you're, you're starting that, that decomposition, that natural cycle of this animal is no longer alive and pumping hot blood and, and, you know, and like, it's funny. It's, it's, it's awesome that you mentioned you grew up with, with hanging, hanging, you know, deer or animals at that matter. And that's an old, that's been around forever. Right. But like for me, and I feel like for a lot of people, like when my dad killed a deer and like, he just didn't know any better. You know what I mean? Like it's how he was taught. Now his dad was taught or whatever, but like you killed that deer. It's, he gutted it. And he, he was hanging it from my swing set in the yard when I was little. And, you know, as fast as he could get it broken down and into the freezer, that was how you got the best product and like science. And it's just, it, it's not really the case, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a terrible idea. Um, 
and like being, I, I've, I've made some new friends. I got a good buddy of mine uh, up in where I'm, I'm going to be living soon up in coastal Connecticut. And um, man, some of the best venison I ever had. And the first guy I see to like have hanging a whole, just like how you were describing, hanging a whole deer, whole white tailed deer, um, just cleaned out, skinned, you know, and just hanging there and just having all this bloom and growth on the outside. And it's like, Hey, Vin, you know, what are you doing? We're going to be up at, uh, we're going to be up at dance tonight. And he's like, Oh, I'll bring a steak by. I'll go. He has a little, he built himself a little walk-in, you know, and uh, he'll just cut these steaks off of this animal. And it's, you get this, like the last time I was up there and we had dinner, he cut this steak. I posted on Instagram, the steak off of this hind leg and it looked like tuna and it ate, it had this tenderness and depth, like, a backstrap met a fillet, you know, and backstrap met like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, well, you know, let's just say like a backstrap, you know, it had like, it was tender and it was, it was just full of flavor. Not that a leg isn't, but like, it just didn't like most people take leg and that's like, that's burger, that's stew meat or something. You know what I mean? Like, so it was just to have that and this color and this depth and this, this density as you lose the moisture and you lose that rigor mortis and you allow those natural enzymes start to work their magic within the meat. As long as you have the right atmosphere and climate. I mean, he hangs the deer. We ate, I ate it raw. It was hanging in there for 65 days. <laughs> <laughs> I took little pieces off and I was like, this looks, I'm sorry. There is no danger in eating this raw. We put a little show you on it, you know, a little soy sauce and let it, you know, hang out for 20 seconds and then real thin kind of curve. <laughs> just to kill maybe just for peace of mind and, uh, and for flavor. But, uh, it was four people ate it. No one got sick. I probably had four ounces of it and it was some of the best tartare I've ever had in my life. So I've, I've, I get excited. I'm kind of ahead of myself. Why don't you explain, you know, briefly or in as much detail as you'd like, what it is you do for a job? Like, who are you? Yeah. Sure, sure. So, you know, like you said, my name is Brad Leone and I've been um, basically how I got into fermentation and food uh, on like a bigger scale and on a public image scale was I, you know, I started working with Bon Appetit magazine here in New York. And um, and that is where I really had the ability. I started off as test kitchen manager. Well, basically, I started off as test kitchen assistant uh, about nine, nine years ago. I was a glorified dishwasher, but I just wanted to get my foot in the door and get into this world that is more than just restaurants. You know, like I love restaurants. I grew up in and out of restaurants, but the food industry was so much more. So I really wanted to, long story short, I left this farmhouse swinging a hammer in New Jersey with some friends uh, as a job. And uh, I took a loan out and found a house on Craigslist uh, in, in Brooklyn with about six roommates of strangers and moved there. I took a loan out, went to culinary school and um, got an internship at Bon Appetit and, uh, yeah, just kind of worked my way up. I just decided, said, just get me in the door, man. I'll wash your dishes. It's better than freaking roofing a house in August. I'll tell you that much. So <laughs> it can't be too much. We're Monday through Friday. I'm cooking and eating. This is great. And learning, you know, keyword learning. I was learning and being exposed to all types of new stuff. So yeah, to fast forward, you know, video started to take off a little bit. And I really kind of developed myself into a a host, a, a video personality, uh, we could say. So, um, and then it started off, you know, really big projects in in the test kitchen at New, you know, for Bon Appetit, doing fermentation, kombucha, sauerkraut, miso, kimchi, um, dried fruits, jerky, and then it really, what I always wanted to do was get into telling stories and telling where I thrive is with 
storytelling with other people. You know, I like, like, I'm fun. I'm great. We can have fun, whatever. But like, I like other people. There's a lot of really beautiful, awesome people doing really awesome things who aren't in, who people aren't shoving cameras in their face, you know, whether or not they want it. And, you know, that's one thing, but being able to go and tell stories and what my shows evolved into was restaurants were the rock stars for the past, what, you know, 10 years or 15, whatever it is. And uh, it was all the chefs, the chefs, you know, these guys, but like the chefs ain't shit unless they're getting the quality ingredients, whether someone, Farmer Keith is growing the most amazing garlic and, you know, ranchers with the beef or whatever it is, the best zucchini in the world. The artist, the chef, the artist can't do anything without a really handsome palette of things to work with. So like, I want to be able to say, and what I have been starting to do is showcase that and how just get involved in our food system and get people to just get off the couch a little bit, like get involved with their food. Like if you have a problem with meat, maybe you should, you know what I mean? Like if, if the idea of killing an animal for your benefit, for your consumption of food bothers you, Hey, more power to you, man, don't do it. But if you're going to go and eat meat, if you're going to go and buy that real clean package of pork chop without a face, you damn well better not have a problem with the people who are doing the hard work and doing it on their own to feed their families. And that's, and I mean that with the most respect to people who do have a problem. Like it's just a matter of, of understanding right and i mean we can that's a rabbit hole we can go down with you know with like but at the end of the day any video i ever made of hunting or showing that process uh, a mutual friend of ours which you brought up elias one of the first videos i ever did for bon appetit uh, or condé nast for that matter was me and him went pheasant hunting and we shot birds we cleaned them we, we gutted them by ourselves and um and you know what? And, and, and corporate lawyers were freaking out. They were really concerned. How is this going to be received? I said, guys, it's a matter of how we package it. Like no one, you know, what we're going to learn is that no one likes factory farms. No one likes mistreating of animals. And I don't like people that do, you know, and that what I've learned in the hunting world is like, that's quite the opposite of what a good hunter, a respectable, responsible hunter is doing out in the field. You know, that animal lived a wild, full, true life right until I swiftly ended it rather quickly and used just about every part of that animal's body to feed my family. If you have a problem with that. You, you have a problem with the way, with the world, you have a problem with existence, you know, with earth. I hate to tell you. Um, so like just showcasing that in a respectful way. And if that does bother you, Hey, go eat plants, go, we go. Eat. And I, I, I support that. And I do too. Point of point of the matter being, don't this don't remove yourself and let someone else do the ugly work and then you know and then judge people for doing what what, what we like to do it's really interesting when i get criticisms about hunting from the from the culinary community and it doesn't happen all that often but when it does happen i i guess i pay special attention to making sure that that person understands the entirety of the situation to the best extent that i'm able to explain it much the same as what you just did. Like th- this is just how things work. And to try and figure out like which, which part of this is the part that you have a problem with. Um, and let's talk about that and, and see if maybe there's a misunderstanding. And if there's not, then go ahead and live your life like that. I just want to make sure everybody has all the information. When you did that project with, uh, with Eli and the pheasant hunt, how was that received? I'm glad you asked because I kind of just lost my train of thought on that. Uh, as I was talking, it was 100% positive. 
vegans, vegetarians, they, in every community and, and people of, of any concern were so positively responsive to that. Um, and just basically showcasing and saying what I said, like no one really wants to mistreat animals. And like, if you don't, if you do have a, I, yeah, it was just kind of how we worded it and packaged it. It was, it's kind of hard to argue with. And like being a champion of positivity and love myself, uh, uh, you know, amongst strangers and just in general, listen, you're not going to make everyone happy and that's okay. You know, and like, you know, and maybe I pissed you off and you, you unfollowed me, but in, maybe in six months you'll have a change and maybe you'll rewatch the video and like have a little change of mind and, or maybe not, you know, and like just having that exposure and having, yeah, it, it was, it was unbelievably positive and they allowed me to do more and allowed me to do more hunting. And I mean, to be honest, I'm super grateful for that. And, and it's good for them too. It's good for everyone because, you know, outside of cities and even in cities, listen, I know people that have no interest and never will shoot a deer in their life, but they know uncle Mike up in the Catskills who every time they see him gives them a frozen bag of venison or something like, and they eat it and it's a beautiful thing, you know? And like, man, this tasted, it was just so rich. And they can most people just don't know what to do with it. They're a little intimidated, just like any type of cooking. You know, you give someone who never cooked a, a side of halibut before and they're, uh, they're not going to know what to do with it, you know? So it's just familiarizing it. And, and I love being a part of that change and that movement where for the longest time it was, you know, your hunters are the, we drink our beer can, we throw it in the back of the truck if you're lucky, we, we, you know, we're shooting signs and, you know, uh, hoorah all the time. And it's just like so much more and it's so much more beautiful than that. And, and so, some of the most beautiful, intelligent people I know are, are avid hunters and conservationists. And, you know, and I'm jumping around a little bit, but like, it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been very positive. Did you ever read uh, the books by Tom Brown Jr. about tracking? No. Man, I came across these back in high school or maybe earlier. There's a series of books written by this guy named Tom Brown Jr. And he grew up in New Jersey in the Pine Barrens. And they are as good as anything that's ever been written about the art of tracking animals. And wow. I probably read four of these things. And throughout all this, I was like, there's no way this dude's from New Jersey. Like the New Jersey that I'm aware of at this point in my life cannot possibly have anything like this. Um, but that's completely wrong because there is a, a very healthy hunting contingent in New Jersey. Yeah. And I mean, and hell, I mean, and if you want to talk about populations, I mean, where I grew up about the opposite of the pine bearings, I grew up in the northernmost part of New Jersey, Upper in the Appalachian Trails, Delaware Water Gap, bordering New York, Pennsylvania. Um, and I grew up right next to a state park. It's called Way, Way on the State Park. And that is where they brought all the troubled, all the trapped bears that were causing problems in the state. And New Jersey, I think, has one of the most densely populated uh, black bear populations, to my knowledge. And then and some big it was ones. a problem. It's some monsters, man. I've seen I've seen 500 pounders cruising that didn't, you know didn't give a shit about anything you know and like <laughs> the the problem was it's just there's, there's too many people you know what i mean it's not even the bear it's not the bear's fault it's just that we're we have you know several million people crammed into one of the smallest states that just happened to be used to be primo real estate for for black bears you know habitat for black bears so we ruined all their habitat and crushed them into these little spots yeah no wonder it's, there's a problem the problem's problem's us <laughs> Yeah, but we're not going away. 
Um, no. And we've, we've got to figure this stuff out. We, we've all got to figure out how to function together, all these different organisms. And uh, sometimes that means that one organism shoots another one and eats it. <laughs> and, and it's okay. It's okay. Right. So, okay. I want to get into, into some things that people can do with the meat that they're harvesting um, along the lines of fermentation and help people understand that and, and not be afraid of it. And I don't want people to think, oh, you just let meat get moldy and then you roll the dice because that, that's really not it. No, that's a, that's a great way to ruin your entire, entire animal and not do a service to the animal that you just killed. Um, so if you are going to talk about hanging or aging animals or anything, you really look, do, you got to do a little research, read some books. You have to, it's all about a controlled atmosphere. You need the right temperature, the right humidity, and you really need air circulation. Okay, like... It's not a matter of just like, yeah, you can hang it in your garage on a cold February for a, for a week and get away with it. But if you really want to like reap the, the mass benefits of a, a longer term aging, you, you got to you got to put in the work and you got to set up. You have to set up a chamber to where you could do that. Um, but like given that's coming from, you know, northeast New Jersey and northeast, just this whole you know area. I'm sure there's places where you, there are sheds where people can very comfortably hang their deer for, like you were saying, for, for a good amount of time comfortably. Um, so I guess it's just understanding and doing the homework of what you are trying to do and achieve uh, as far as aging and hanging an animal and then ways you can use food to just complement it. I mean, yeah, that's huge, right? I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, if it's, if you can get, whether you can harvest some wild, you know, a deer yourself or some venison or some, you know, some wild birds or a duck or something, it's just, you know, A, try to utilize as much as you can. I mean, for better or worse, I know plenty of guys that just breast out pheasants and ducks and didn't want nothing to do with the rest of the, rest of the, I mean, the legs don't even get me started, but what about the carcass? You know, like that's, you can make fantastic stock and using the whole animal and just, and, you know, I'm not necessarily saying you got to go scraping the fat behind the eyeballs, but like do a little, do a little research of what the animal it is you're consuming and try to just be respectful to it and try to utilize it. There's one thing that, I, that was instilled to me in, as a young kid and I, I'm passing on to my kids now is like, you don't ever shoot something that you're not going to eat. And like, and my dad, like very seriously told me that. And like, it always stuck with me and it's, you know what, it's, it's not a bad thing to, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a, a certain scenarios where it wouldn't apply, but like, yeah, hell yeah. You know, for the most part, I'd say 99% of the time, that's, that's a damn good mantra to live by. So understanding your animal, what you want to do with it. And then, and then it's just basically, whether it's a pheasant or, or it's a deer, just like a beef or a, or, or a chicken, you can just cook, just eat, you know, like people have been doing this for a long time. And as far as fermentation goes, the biggest thing that I ever tell people, if, you, if you're interested in fermenting things that could go with just about anything, a perfectly seared medium duck breast or uh, venison chili or uh, whatever it is, you know, uh, pheasant fajitas, make some sauerkraut. It's simple. It's salt, a little garlic I always promote, a little pepper, but it's really just <laughs> salt and cabbage, okay? And you pack it into a jar or a vessel and you can let it hang out at room temperature, just like you might do with your deer body, you know, in a, in a, in a maybe cooler one. But like you let it hang out and it's a real old world thing. It ties in beautifully. And like I tell you what, you cook up a nice steak. 
not enough people use sauerkraut. It's like people, oh, you put it on your bratwurst or on your hot dog. I eat sauerkraut five times a week. You know, we make meatloaf <laughs> with a little rice. We eat meatloaf with a little rice. Everyone's getting a little a little scoop of sauerkraut, you know, or you have a little chili or something. I, it's just that why not layer it in? And it just, it's tangy, it's salty. It's got a nice vegetal crunch. There's, it's loaded with microorganisms that are going to be beneficial and helpful in you breaking down all that meat you just consumed. So it's just like it goes hand in hand. And there's a reason why every culture has a version of it. Kimchi, sauerkraut. I mean, you name it. It's because it's it's awesome and it's super beneficial. So I think it, it plays hand in hand perfectly. And I mean, that lactic acid, that sourness, it's like vinegar, you know, like anything fermenting as lacto fermented uh, vegetables. You apply that to just even a, a simple steak, a little sliced up backstrap or something. It just it it complements it beautifully. And I can't help but think because it is so tied into such an old world. You know what I mean? Like I, for me, it does something for me. I mean, that type of protein alone, it does, it, it feeds my body and soul much differently than a very unhealthy cow or lamb for the pig for that matter. And then when you make your own fermented vegetables or pickles or whatever, and you consume it with that, I mean, it's, not that I'm not trying to go live in the woods by myself necessarily yet, but like, it's just a beautiful way. You could do that in the city. You could do that anywhere and just be connected to your food more. Yeah. That's, that's something that I think is a big difference between people that just, you know, cook. And then people who are cooking professionally is they're trying, professionals are trying to figure out which of these foods go together and, and how does that change the entire experience? compared with like, okay, I made potatoes and they go on this part of my plate and I made backstrap and it goes on this part of my plate. And maybe there's some broccoli over here. So, you know, the, the lady in the house won't yell at me, whatever. Um, but there's a lot more that you can do and, and figuring this stuff out that you can do on your own is so satisfying. It's so satisfying. Yeah. And fermentation is, is all around us. Like we, we take a lot of things for granted that are fermented and, and use them in, in, you know, all kinds of aspects of our lives. I mean, it's really the base, the foundation of umami, right? Which is that depth, that, that, that new, that, that big flavor, you know, that like can't put a finger quite on it, but it's awesome. Little funky, little, you know, it's umami. And it, I, I believe umami comes from, from fermentation. Yeah, that makes sense. Umami is a fairly new thing, right? At least for, for Western culture to be talking about. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a relatively, you know, past 20 years, 10 years, you know, very buzzy word. And it became like this new, you have sour, you have sweet, you have salty, you have bitter. You also have umami now. It's like, this is like six cents or whatever, you know, um, <laughs> on the tongue and uh, a sense of uh, taste. And um, yeah, I mean, it, you say new, yeah, it is new in that sense, but my God, it's the oldest, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's been around. I mean, it was just like any fermented thing or anything really. It was probably found out by accident, just like bread or booze or, or sauerkraut. Someone neglected something, and nature has its ways, man. Nature doesn't care; it never has. And this this process of bacteria breaking things down, um, it does all kinds of things for for aiding digestion and making something more digestible even before we begin to eat it. And it makes right. sense to me from an evolution standpoint, that something that tastes good, that has a positive reaction to our palate, 
does so because that's something that our body's craving that we should be eating. If something tastes bad, that's probably not something that we should be eating. Um, and I know it's, it's more complicated than that, but if you go to a time where, you know, people didn't have access to information, right? All they had was what they'd been taught by the previous generation within their tribe. They really had to base it on their own personal experiences a lot. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's a good, that's a good point you mentioned. And it's like, and one of the things I always try to tell people and myself is like, listen to your body, you know, cause it talks to you in a lot of ways, especially through the gut, you know, like there's a lot of studies. I think your, you know, your gut controls a lot of your urges and thoughts and, and, and processes. And, and yeah, and like there are times where very often where it's like, yeah, when I do, I, I find myself pretty good at listening to my body where it's like, man, I've been eating a lot of this or like, I, I just, I need something fermented, you know? And like, I can't help but think that it is like, and I think that's what you were saying. It is embedded in our DNA as, as a species. It's been passed down. Yeah. You know, we have trillions of bacteria within our body and those bacteria, you know, help us consume food. They do all kinds of these important bodily functions, but they are also created um, in part by the types of foods that we eat. So it makes all the sense right. in the world to me simplistically that the, you know, bacon and eggs bacteria that are in, in my body want me to eat bacon and eggs every day, you know? Exactly. And the same applies to eating chips, ahoy cookies and Coca-Cola, right? Yep. Like, and that's why we have a massive problem in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the chips, ahoy microbiome has a vote. Feed me. Keep it going more <laughs> fucking soda. Right. And it's just, just shove it in your face. And it's like, and yeah, it's like you get an instant out But once you break that and you kill off that and you nurture the other ones that are supporting you being a very proactive, healthy, alert. I mean, I've never had more energy in my freaking life. Like my wife thinks there's something wrong with me. I'm bouncing off the walls. I've never been more productive. And like, I can't help but think it is tied to, to diet. Yeah. No. Amongst other things. Sure. I'm also a maniac, but like amongst other things. <laughs> Um, what's your hunting future look like? Yeah, man. So I, um, I'm looking to move up. I bought a farmhouse, uh, an old farmhouse up in coastal Connecticut and cool. uh, got a little Congratulations. bit of, yeah, a little bit of, thanks man. A little bit of acreage to it and uh, a lot of deer, a lot of turkeys. And I got some friends up there who, um, managed some really awesome lands up there. It's just awesome, awesome duck hunting, turkey hunting, deer hunting. So, um, you know, uh, turkey and, and duck should be coming up in, in the spring and stuff and, squirrels and rabbits hopefully i'm going to be getting out to uh in may doing a little bit of a uh, work with the folks over at uh with the meteor folks we might be doing a little uh spear fishing um some, uh, some freshwater spear fishing which could be really cool um really cool and then there was a talk of a buddy of mine jeff raleigh who's um uh he's a pro skateboarder out in uh he's in la now and um we he's a big time hunter and uh he works with a few outfits that do a lot of bighorn sheep uh, uh, re repopulation and conservation work and also hunting. And um, he was talking to me a little bit about like maybe doing a, uh, he having the opportunity to go out and do a bison hunt where all the meat would be donated uh, and, and set up with a school system within a, a native American reservation to where, you know, we could donate all the meat with them and they could process it, use it to, to feed, you know, their people. And uh, I mean, for me, 
being, you know, a tall white guy, last thing I want to go do is shoot is some wild buffalo. And, and that's just a bad look. And, and it's not nece- necessarily something I need to do. But when it comes to that and that kind of deliverance of it, I mean, bison meat's a beautiful thing. It just sounds, that just sounds like a really fun hunt to me. Um, and then just bow hunting, man. I'm really looking forward to getting into my own tree stand and my own land and, you know, watching my own animals and, 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 you know, and, and managing them, you know, and I want to grow, you know, and just really just, you know, managing my own plot of land and, and seeing deer and come and being able to be a little choosy and, uh, and just trying to help the, the herd for lack of better description and just kind of grow a nice, a nice population around me. That's going to be really fun. That's going to be so much fun and have so much learning. You're going to have a blast. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I got a good community. that's going to be able to help me too, which is everything. And then, and then back to my boys, you know, there's some nice little, a lot of little rabbits and squirrels and, you know, being able to just take the boys out for a walk and you know, maybe we shoot a squirrel and we break it down together. And, you know, and like, they'll I already just, I, I love seeing them. They're just like, so they, they came pre-programmed with interest in it. You know what I mean? Like, just like back to fermentation, it's like there's certain things that are just embedded in our DNA and society and modern life kind of really clouds it. And for a lot of people, and you tend to forget, you know, we haven't, not much has changed since other than technology in the past 400 years for people, you know, I mean, like that being said, yeah, I do think there are big, you know, strives in, in, in culture and in people for that matter. But like what I'm getting at is like, evolutionarily we're, we're not much different you know like scientists would tell you better but like really not much different at all than like what we were five six seven hundred years ago you know technology just went like this you know yeah no it it's definitely within us and i i like to to play this little experiment when i have uh, people who've never shot a bow before you can put a target a long ways away like 100 yards away and give them a, a long bow recurve and say, try and shoot that milk jug. And people will come shockingly close on the first bow shot of their life to actually achieving this almost impossible shot. Before they start thinking about it. Before they start thinking about it. it they've got a long downhill after that, before they can start climbing right. back up. <laughs> That's but, fascinating. Yeah. And, and Fred Bear said that the, you know, the history of the bow is the history of mankind. And it's totally true. Like this one piece of technology was as pivotal as fire for the development of humans. Right. Absolutely incredible. And we all exist. Every single one of us exists because our ancestors were good at using a bow and arrow, period. Um, Absolutely amazing. God, that's fascinating, man. I I love that. I I do think that people have it in them. You know, we, we do. We have to. Otherwise, we wouldn't have made it. You know, and you take my black lab and obviously she, you know, she's a, she's a different thing. Like she's a creation. Black labs did, you know, they didn't evolve. Right. They're, they're they were bred, bred really quickly. But when she was 10 weeks old, the first time she heard a gunshot back to your train of puppy point earlier, I shot a bird out of a tree with the 22 and she ran over and got it and brought it back to me. Just 10 weeks old. Like that is program. Yeah. yeah. Right. That, that was the factory settings. Like she already had it in her and we, and we have that kind of stuff in us too. Yeah. That's amazing, man. And uh, you know, I couldn't agree more. Um, so like, yeah, being able to show these new things with my kids and just kind of pass that, that information and kind of not even pass it. Cause it seems like a lot of it is kind of even there. Right. But just like help, help nourish it and help kind of shine a light on it is really exciting. And, 
you know, for me, I grew up hunting and fishing with my dad and, and stuff and some friends. I got into high school and started chasing other things, you know, and uh, as I got a little older, you know, and had kids, especially it, man, like, it's like something that like punched me in the stomach, like this call to get back to it and like the importance of it. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to be, to be getting back in, back into the hunting thing. Um, whether it's archery or, or firearms, I'm just, I'm really into both of it. Yeah, that's great, man. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for your boys to have that opportunity that, that you're making for them. They're going to be able to grow up a little bit more feral than they might if they're in New York city. And that's uh, right. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. That's yeah, important, man. It's part of what made me the person I am. And I'm just trying to return the favor to my kids. It's a responsibility. Cool. Well, I'm going to be here to help you with any any of your future uh, shooting stuff questions that you have. And yeah. I'm always going to have cooking stuff questions for you. And, and uh, well, that's look good, for, man. Look forward to getting together and going on a hunt together. And maybe we can drag Eli out and, and go with us. Um, that guy, I'm going to have him on the podcast, uh, here at some point. Oh, what a treasure of a human. He's, he is one of my favorite people in the world. And I was just talking to him yesterday about kind of the uh, similar stuff we were talking about today. And he's already like looking, he wants to buy a ticket and come out. He's like, Brad, I'll bring my hammer. We'll build something. I'll call turkeys with the boys. And like, (laughs) I can't. And like, I mean this to you too, man, open door policy. If you're ever out that way and you need somewhere to stay and just hang out, man, like, open door i'll bring you fishing bring you hunting and uh, and that's what it's all about and then i mean and again on top of that i'm going to be setting it up to where i'm going to be making my own youtube shows and podcasts there and uh and yeah man this is just the beginning of a relationship awesome well i i can't wait to uh to see what the future holds for you and and look forward to to getting out there and and seeing what you're building it's going to be amazing same man thank you how can people uh find out more about you where where can they follow what, what brad leone has going on yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, I, I make videos for uh, the. If you're looking for a video, it's YouTube uh, or Bone Appetite right now. Um, just different types of things. It's alive with Brad, and then on Instagram, I share a lot of the stuff, a, a lot more of the stuff like we're talking about through my Instagram for now. And it's Brad underscore Leone uh, on Instagram. Shouldn't be a problem. Cool. All right. Well, folks, highly encourage you to go follow this guy. Amazing information and always entertaining. Thank you, man. It was a pleasure. It was mine. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. This episode was edited by Emily Brannigan, with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Artwork for the Six Ranch podcast was created by John Chatterlin and digitized by Celia Christofferson. If you enjoyed the show, I encourage you to share it with a friend and subscribe. You can find photos and more content on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week.